Good morning. Wasn't a trick. Good morning. Good morning. Just check the person beside you is alive. Um, so yeah, if I haven't met you, I'm Andrew and it's my privilege to lead the team here at, at Trinity. Um, we're going to be uh, looking uh, at Luke chapter 4, the f- just a couple of verses at the beginning. So if you want to find that at the moment, uh, find that sorry, you know, just now. Um, ready for ready for when we get to that. Switch on your device or or grab a grab a grab a Bible. Um, I I understand uh, that there was a uh, an old wise man, uh, a Native American uh, wise man, and he w- he was asked about his sense of spiritual challenge, spiritual challenge, and he said, "Well, it's like this." There are, there are two dogs in, inside me. There's a, a good dog and there's a mean dog. And the mean dog is constantly snapping and biting and fighting at the, at the good dog inside of, inside of me. And the guy said, said to him, so which, which dog wins? He said, the one that I feed the most. Now, there's truth in that. It's actually not theologically, it's not thinking about God quite correct. And I'll say about that. But I just did think I would share that at the beginning of our time together. Who or what are we, are we feeding, feeding the most is, is my question. Um. A lot of you know that, that some of us just come back from an amazing trip to, to, to Kenya. Here's a, here's a picture of one of the team, Kevin, Kevin Elliott, who comes in the evenings. Um, he's, he's speaking in a crowd of 850 young people, uh, children. It's, uh, I, I'm really sorry, I couldn't get the picture where um, at one point, not at this school, but another school where we were vis- visiting, it's called a compassion school, where children are sponsored by people and it blesses their families. A lot of us um, sponsor. And, and Kevin and they found the polos in his pocket so he was kind of and he was just mobbed there was just this kind of moving mass and in the middle was Kevin sort of going hello I'm all right I'm all right he lost his inhaler he lost you know all kinds of uh, kinds of stuff there there are amazing times just superb amazing times but there's also testing times when when we go go through go through uh, these trips, uh, I'm I'm a little bit uh, suspect with the, some of the food. Nikki absolutely loves the 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 more African end of the amazing range of food that we get. Given we get just given so much food by people who often have no food security at all. It's just the amazing hospitality that we're always welcome with. And and there's actually a range of things now. There's quite a lot of rice in in Kenya. There are some, uh, some amazing things that I really like. Samosas. They do the most amazing samosas. Can't ever resist a samosa. There's another story, isn't there? Um, but amongst it, you know, there's other things which I'm less keen on. But Nikki loves, she loves the pulses. She loves the beans. She loves the kind of veg. And I'm kind of looking at it. And when we go to some of the more rural places, we don't get to choose exactly what we want from the, from the buffet table. This amazing woman who's, who's probably prepared, you know, been up for hours, gone and got water, got the fire going, you know, I mean, just the extraordinary hospitality, will come with this great big bowl of white rice and pulses and beans and, you know, kind of greens. And 
And I kind of look at it and I kind of go, darling, would you take one for the team, please? <laughs> I, I, have, I have learned that you can just sort of kind of go. And it either means I'm too fat or it means that um, I've got a slightly dodgy, you know. There's, there's testing. There's, there's a really appropriate. It takes about 24 hours to get there. Takes about 24 hours to get back. The sleeping's not incredibly easy. There are there are tests, but but the tests make make the joys even sweeter. Here's, here's one little test. So uh, the, the, the next picture, thanks. The, this, uh, this vehicle that we were travelling about, it's not actually the one we're going to try and replace. This has only probably done 100,000 kilometres, so it's got, you know, half its life still to go. Um, but do you notice the little ladder? You know, it's designed for those of a Kenyan disposition who are taller than me. Uh, actually, the ladder is there for Nikki, but in fact, they got the ladder out first for me because I couldn't get into the back of the flipping thing. Can you imagine? I'm the lead pastor of Trinity Cheltenham. Welcome, the Reverend Canon Andrew Bly being stuffed into the back of a four by four, you know, drivers gently kicking me and, and people inside pulling me. And you know those moments, I'm sure no one else here knows those moments when everyone's trying to be super helpful and you don't want them to be helpful. And you're through gritted teeth trying to be really Christian. No, I'm fine. No, it's okay. I'll pull myself up. No, that wasn't the sound of my trousers ripping. It was a... <laughs> the, the testing makes the arrival sweeter. The, the testing makes the glorious moments, whereas we were sharing last week, where you see people coming to faith. You see three Maasai elders in their 70s saying, I, I, want to, I want to start my journey of eternal life. Makes it, makes it sweeter. We've been going through this, uh, this series, haven't we, on courageous resistance. Uh, first, sorry, thinking about courage and positive testing fitting within it. But courageous resistance has been a, a calling that we felt God give to us as a church. If you weren't here, we were last year, last autumn, doing a series on the book of Ephesians. So we were looking at Paul's teaching to this church in Ephesus, uh, you know, in the first part of the growth of the, the church of Jesus Christ. And he was speaking to them. And if you remember right at the end of that, that book of Ephesians, he talks about the, the need for spiritual armour. Spiritual armour. So he, he takes the metaphor, many of us will know, the picture of Roman centurions. And he talks about all their different armour. And he says, you're in a spiritual battle and you need the spiritual equivalent and you need it all of the time. And he talks about a breastplate of righteousness, of living in the right kind of way over your heart. He talks about a, a belt of truth that you have to have around your, your most sensitive parts, literally. He talks about a, a helmet of salvation, a, a Jesus way of thinking that we need to have, a mindset of Jesus that we, we really need to have. Talks about, about the sword of, of the word of God, the, the sword that's in our hands. And again, he's going to be talking a little bit more about, about that. And he talks about the shield of faith. When, he says, when the attacks come, when the, when the, when the, you know, the rubbish comes at you, when the, the mean dog rears up and bites you, you need the shield of faith. But the, but the imagery, the bit of the, the armour that we really sort of connected with as a church and, and talked about, there was a, a talk, if you remember, Hill saying, you know, have any of us just got our slippers of, of 
kind of ugh, on. When, when what, the, what Paul says you need is you need, you, need the, you need the shoes of the gospel of peace. And he's, he's connecting, isn't he? We remember with that image of the Roman centurion having a, a kind of footwear that allowed them to both stand firm and to be able to go where God was calling, to be able to move quickly. And then here we are now in, in this series on positive testing and we're, we're again reflecting on, on how the testing times, when they come, actually produce fruit. Testing is, is, a good, is a good thing. Have you ever, you know, if you've ever seen driving on the Kenyan roads, I gather that one, one person from the UK, when they got their driving licence, went in the back of a 4 by 4 and then got asked to go in the front, drove 50 yards down the road, and the examiner said, yeah, you can drive. I guess we kind of hope that people do a bit of testing when it comes to just something like, like driving, don't we? But losses, people here today, you've lost someone close to you. Uh, people here today and you've got just massive doubt. You feel, you feel those doubts rising up. We might use the terminology, some of us, of what Christians down the ages have called of the dark night of the soul. Testing times. Maybe you're being tested financial. Great friend of mine made redundant just two days ago. When we sense need real need rather than wants, when we sense real need rather than wants, it grows dependency in us. Nikki and I have both shared openly a number of times about the battle we had to, to, with fertility to, in order to have children. And both Nay and Rach really happily speak about, speak about this so openly. And that, that two, three year period where we were so cross with God, I stood in my garden and screamed and, and even you know, shouted obscenities at God because I was so upset because all of our Christian friends were falling pregnant at the same time. People were coming up to Nikki and saying, you know, kind of almost apologetically, well, we didn't really intend it, as if that made it any better for two people who every month were going through the pain. Some of you here, you know exactly, precisely what I'm talking about, the living bereavement of infertility. But I do look back on that time, and I'm not, friends, going to say, just look always for a silver lining in every cloud. Rubbish is rubbish. But I am going to tell you the truth. I can only just share you my own stories. I know that I'm only able to be the person I am today and the pastor that I am today because of that experience. I don't want to be clunky about it. If you're watching at home or you're here in the room and you just want to scream at me at this moment, I don't want to be clunky. And by the way, church was the hardest place for us to ever go to Sunday by Sunday. Far too many babies. Bless you with your babies. Bless you. You, you know, we, never, we were never crossed with anyone else for having a child. Of course we weren't. But, and I'm not, I don't want to be clunky and, you know, get into the detail and in clunky ways of did God make that happen or stuff like that. I'm just wanting to tell you positively that that testing, that horrible extreme testing, much, much harder actually for Nikki than me in many ways, but had its own quality for me as a man. It's the first time in my life that I didn't feel self-sufficient. 
First time in my life that Andrew couldn't sort it. My need really fed my sense of dependency on God. Because after I'd screamed at him and told him how wrong he was and how foolish and how you know, unfaithful to me and you know, where was he with his promise, after I'd done all that screaming at him, he was all I was left with. There was nowhere else to go and he was still there and I had pummeled him with my attacks. I had pummeled him with my charges and yet he was still there and he was still embracing me. I don't, I don't wish horrible testing on anyone, but it's in testing, as we've been sharing, and Tim was sharing so, so well last week, watch it if you haven't. It's in testing that we discover what we want to fight for, as well as what we're fighting against. What are we fighting for, as much as we're fighting against? Be a whole range of topics. Um... I hope you've read my leadership bulletin that I sent out yesterday. If you haven't, I've made some comment there. I've shared the heart of our leadership team, which I hope is not news to people, about our sense of how things, how God's best in terms of sex, in terms of marriage, in terms of same-sex relationships, and any other kind of relationship, what we might call living together or any other relationship. And that's not, that may feel to some of you, I know it does feel to some of you, as though we're against but friends, we're, we're devoted to being for. We're wanting to, to say, what, what does God want for us? Please read what I've said, and also I pray, please hear the heart for every member of this church. Let's just have a quick look then into Jesus' temptations, when he experienced testing, and the, and the Greek word is, is testing. Piradzo is, is testing much more than it is temptation. Luke 4, verses 1 to 2. To two. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Luke, Matthew, Mark, all the gospel writers record that straight after the joy of Jesus being baptised, the affirmation of who he is as he submits to God and he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit filling in him, as he models that to us, didn't have to get baptised but chose to get baptised. He's making a way, he's modelling something to us, goes straight from that place of glory into a place of testing. One commentator, David Guzak, says the contrast between the glory and the horror, the cool waters of the Jordan, the barren heat of the wilderness, the crowds that were affirming at his baptism to isolation for 40 days, 40 nights, the father's voice at the time of his baptism, the great Trinitarian example, Father, Son, Holy Spirit coming, the father's voice here Satan's hiss. The anointed one is now the attacked one. It all reinforces 
the severity of the testing that Jesus is going, going th- through for us. When it talks about being hungry after 40 days, it literally means he's starving to death. Have you noticed that the only reason we know about this, the only reason the first disciples knew about this, the only reason that it's written in our Bibles is because Jesus told them and wants us to know what happened. Baptism had witnesses. This didn't. First of all, the number 40 its significance in scripture, its symbolic significance. The flood in the book of Genesis lasts 40 days and 40 nights before God removes the water and Noah steps onto the dry land. Moses spends 40 days in the de- years in the desert before he's called to return to Egypt and set God's people free. Goliath taunts Saul and the armies of Israel for 40 days before God acts through David to remove him and release God's people from this this place of shame. Elijah, the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, flees for 40 days and nights before reaching Mount Horeb and and his pivotal meeting on Mount Horeb with, with God. You can read about it in 1 Kings. The gift he's given of courage takes away fear, the recommissioning for the tasks that God has given him to set his people free. Through Jonah, God gives Nineveh 40 days to repent and they receive salvation because they do repent. Do you get a picture of a story? 40 is a symbolic number. 40 is symbolic of a time of testing through which God is leading into freedom, salvation and all his good things. Jesus wants us to know that he is making a way for us in the realities of this world. Just as much as he was in his baptism, here he is in this time of testing. He wants you to know that he's making a way. And he he went through a testing more extreme than any of us, even the ones that I've just alluded to and described, could ever go through because because he was tested directly by the devil. We we experience evil, we experience demonisation. Few of us actually directly look into the face of the devil testing us. And also, he didn't have the apparent relief that we fall into of giving in at any point. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And he did it all in his full humanity. What's the first test that the devil throws directly into his face? Luke 4, verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If or since you are the Son of God, better reading of the Greek maybe. It's a challenge to his very identity. 
It's a challenge to his essential relationship with God the Father. It's a challenge to the authority and the power which God gives him. It's a real, it's a real desire. It, it, it's not in itself anything but legitimate, isn't it? He was hungry. He was starving to death. Temptations, by definition, have to be tempting. But the problem, the issue, the reason that Jesus says no is because to say yes would be to reject his relationship with God. It would be to be disobedient. It would be to say I'm not dependent on God. He's not some macho self-denial. It's not stoic asceticism. It's, I mean, Jesus will eat, says Matthew, at the right time when the angels come to him. He's, he's perfectly willing to eat. He's not just doing it for the sake of it. But what he's modelling to us, what he's making a way for us, is through the reality of testing to come into the experience of freedom and blessing. Next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the second and the third testing. And there's a progression in them. Tim Keller, great writer, theologian, speaker, preacher, says there's a progression. This first testing is about something relatively small. It's a, it's a real material thing. It's the, it's the bread on our table. The second and the third testing take us into deeper realms of spiritual testing and about ultimately God's whole kingdom plan. But Keller says, this is how the devil so often works with us. It's, it's in a small step. You're hungry. You, you want to eat. Have this. It's not going to be so bad for you. But that is a small step away a small step away from obedience. The devil's strategy is death by a thousand cuts. I've said that before, you know, marriages, how often marriages, rarely is it the big major event, rarely, rarely, it's a thousand cuts. People step away from their faith, step away from dependency on Jesus. It's death by a thousand cuts. People step away from a church community, from doing life together because, yeah, we disagree about some things. We're struggling and wrestling with things. It can be a death by a thousand cuts. It's the devil's number one strategy against us. And we live in this culture, don't we, where the reality is compared to, you know, so much of our experience in places like Kenya, we have so much choice. But that is not leading to a greater sense of satisfaction. It's leading to a greater hunger and desire for more. It's just like being any kind of drug addict. The possessions, the material stuff, the money... Just step by step. I'm, I, this is me. It's us. 
in our possessions, in our bread, our daily bread, the things that we rightly deserve, come on, is our worth, is our status, is our security, is our essential human rights. But the problem is that terminological inexactitudes are lies. Are we dependent on God? That's what's going on here. And to notice that for Jesus, there's something particular, as there always is in the testing, that's even even greater. This series, this baptism and then this being tested is going to be the beginning of his public ministry. And what's at stake for Jesus, there's all the things that I've described that can be at stake for us, but what's at stake for Jesus is literally what kind of Messiah are you going to be? You see, absolutely, Jesus could have used his divine power to provide food for himself. Absolutely, the Father could, he's going to in a few verses, could have provided him at this moment the food that he needed. He could have used his power to meet his own needs. But as Tim Keller says, Jesus never, ever does that. He is the Messiah who will be obedient and dependent on God even to death on the cross. That's what's at stake. Charles Spurgeon, historic writer, preacher said, if Jesus had used his own power at this moment to demonstrate that he is the Son of God... That would have been the surest way of proving that he was not the son of God. The promised one. The suffering servant. The obedient one. What Jesus does is he takes up a weapon that every single one of us have in our hands to demonstrate the power that we have been given to overcome the testing, the temptation of the devil. He takes up the sword of the word of God. Now the thing is, the devil can proof text just as well as us and better. He doesn't proof text. He turns in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the the second giving of God's law. I referred to Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the covenant. The people forget the law. And in Deuteronomy, they receive the law. And he turns to that. And Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he replies directly into the face of the devil with these words, directly into the face. He speaks out, he articulates another Luke theme about the God who speaks. But for us, we need to speak truth into the face of delusion, into lies. This is what he says. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live On bread alone. Food 
is a legitimate want, but Jesus is speaking about our highest need. Food is a legitimate want, especially in these circumstances. But Jesus is speaking about our highest need. Jesus is speaking about the place, the focus of our dependency. He's speaking against the devil's scheme to rob him of his identity and his true power. And he's speaking for obedience, dependency and the freedom that comes when God absolutely is first. I've said already, we only know about this because Jesus told the disciples what had happened. And the disciples record it to tell us what has happened. Jesus wants us to know at least four things. He understands the testing, the trials, the temptations that we go through. He understands brokenness. He completely identifies with us. There is, to use a technical term, complete solidarity. Jesus, you, me. The devil will try and tell you, the devil will try and split, as Tim said last week. The devil will try and say, Jesus, you know, not really for you. Proper Christian, you wouldn't do that. Proper lead pastor, you definitely wouldn't do that. If you could just sort yourself out a little bit, everyone would find it so much easier. You messed up again? I mean, Jesus talked about 70 times 7. Haven't you used all of those up? Jesus wants you to know his complete solidarity with you, his complete identification with you and me in our brokenness, in our trials, in our temptations, in our tests. He has experienced the greatest possible degree of all of those things. He's looked into the very face of the devil. He wants us to know, of course, that the devil is defeated. This is the first time when a son of Adam, when a fully human being, rejects and resists the attack of the devil. It is going to happen completely and perfectly on the cross, but this is the start of God's transformation and new life beginning. Jesus says no and wipes out all of those times we say yes to the devil, yes to temptation, yes to testing. Or the other way around, he says yes to God, no to the devil. He's made a way. 
And he has given us the absolute power to defeat the devil. Absolute power. You and I, right this second, have in our hands the perfect, adequate weapon for anything and everything that we are going through. It's what he used. It's our gift. Testing, testing grows faith if it leads to dependency. Testing grows our faith and our relationship with God if it leads us deeper into his word to be more dependent on him, the Holy Spirit with us. Jesus was full of, led by the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling weak today, if you have a sense of being driven by wants, and God is right now just saying, please, let me be your need. If you have a sense of your identity, and I just don't know who I am anymore. If you have a sense of your authority being stolen away. If here is invitation, not condemnation. Here is the one who wants to take you by the hand, who wants to lead you through the testing into times of greater blessing. And friends, if you're feeling in the slightest bit okay, I suspect there won't be many here. But notice this is the devil's standard playbook. When, says Matthew, when the devil came, when we're tested, this is how the devil will start with us. With the small steps, with the bread on our table. Jesus was in a positive spiritual state. He was, he was coming out of 40 days of fasting, of, of giving himself to the Lord. He was coming out of baptism. He was coming out of his affirmation. He was coming out of a filling of the Holy Spirit. And this was exactly the point when the devil tried to trip him up, test him, divert him. There's a battle on. It's a spiritual battle. That's what we learned through Ephesians. That's why we need spiritual armour. There are two kingdoms. There are two entities trying to rule in our lives. The devil wants to bring his authority and rule over us. He wants to steal away from us our birthright. Our birthright, which God is giving to us, wants us to know in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God that is walked through sacrifice, obedience, humility and the use of power for others. What are you against? What are you for? Who are you dependent upon? The reason the old man's picture is not correct, there are not two equal dogs fighting. There might be a little terrier called the devil nipping at your heel, but God and the devil are not equally powerful within you. The devil has been defeated on the cross. The battle is on. Get your armour on. Make a decision. What are you against? Who are you for?